Assalamu alaikum guys, Eid Mubarak. Eid Mubarak to you as well, man. Alhamdulillah, we're back with another episode of Shake Shack. And from the family at Shake Shack, I want to extend everyone a very happy Eid Mubarak. And hopefully you had a very wonderful Eid with your families. So Salah and I were actually going to record an episode on Eid about a completely different topic that inshallah we'll get to in the next week. But given everything that's going on in the United States and to, to a lesser extent in Canada as well, we felt it was imp- incumbent upon us to cover our thoughts on what's going on in the United States right now. And so for that purpose, we actually have one of our good friends, Usama, on the call with us today. Usama, say hi to our listeners. Hey guys, my name is Usama. I'm a Somali-Canadian and uh, myself and Hashim and Salah have been good friends for a very long time now. Uh, really glad to hear about this podcast and uh, we decided that it was uh, time for me to hop on and for us to have a, a conversation. So thanks for having me on, guys. Jazakallah bro. We're very excited to have you. So what we're going to talk about today is all of the protests and the riots that are going on. Recently, there were three things that happened that have led to a lot of outrage in the community and a lot of people being very upset and rightfully so and led to protests and riots and and we'll get into that inshallah but just as a summary there was a case of a man named Ahmed Arbery who was gunned down uh, as he was jogging he was uh, chased down in a pickup truck by two white males he tried avoiding them and then they, they, he eventually ended up getting shot in cold blood one description I heard of this event was just the, it was the closest thing to a modern day lynching that we've seen in some time. And the police department was found to be complicit in trying to cover this up uh, until the video was released. And then at, at which point they had to act. It's very hard to actually talk about all of these things um, in such a brief manner, because I remember each of those occasions was one yeah. after the other. It was just unbelievable. There are, there's so many details that go into them and so many ways to analyze them that it's hard to kind of like give this brief summary. The second one is the issue of Amy Cooper, who who was actually a Waterloo grad, and she was wow, taking her dot. Yeah, he was. She was a Waterloo grad, bringing the shame to the Waterloo name. Sadly, the the incident involved a man who was just doing some bird watching in, uh, I think it was Central Park, and she didn't have her dog on her leash, and so he asked her to kindly do that. And she started calling the cops on him and she started saying that this this man is threatening me and all sorts of absurd claims. And and so um, there was this recording of her and it shed some light on how, you know, how difficult life could be sometimes as, as an African-American in this country. In Amy Cooper's incident, it wasn't just that she threatened to call the cops. It was that she seemed to have weaponized, very knowingly weaponized the cops by saying, I'm calling them and telling them an African-American male is threatening me. Right. The, lastly, there's a case of George Floyd, and this individual was strangled to death by this police officer who put his knee on his neck. You see the video of, of the of the man pleading for his life, saying he can't breathe, and and for I think a period of eight minutes, this uh, this police officer just continued to hold him down to the point where eventually this person ended up dying in the hospital. Um, I just want to point out that he didn't actually die die in the hospital the emt said that he seemed to be dead on arrival and another pretty like harrowing point is that 
the guy who killed him, Derek Chauvin specifically, had something like 18 police brutality complaints against him. And letting him walk um, on the streets. Exactly. So in response to a lot of these really egregious cases of police brutality and clearly discrimination against someone for being black, there's been a lot of protests, there's been riots, there's been looting in various cities across the United States. There's been you know, lots of stores that have been burned down. And, and so what do you guys think about all of these different things, like these very these ways of activism, these whether it's the riots, whether it's, whether it's the protests, how do you feel about them? Um, so for me personally, I've seen a lot of emphasis on how the protesters are handling things. Um, they're they have a lot of different words for the protests. They call them riots. They say that they're looting, uh, and ultimately, there's not enough focus on the fact that police officers are beating protesters, they're arresting protesters. So I feel like that has to be part of the conversation as well. Yeah. And this is a very common distraction tactic. Um, it's been used in China too. Uh, anytime the state is under pressure or uh, there are people frustrated with how the system is treating them, there will be a lot of, you know, uh, tactics being employed, people being, uh, uh, accused of looting or uh, like rioting when they may not be. So that's frustrating. And I agree with you that the focus needs to be on the problems within the system that are causing people to die. Yeah. Yeah. In, in many ways, I feel like, unfortunately, like you, were, you guys have both been saying, the riots and the looting have detracted from the overall issue here, the bigger picture here, which is that being black in America is extremely, extremely difficult, uh, given like all the different things that, that can happen to you. I've been trying to listen to conservative radio just to see like what the rest of America is hearing. And so I listened to this like Ben Shapiro podcast and all they've been focusing on, on their last episode is just, you know, the riots and the looting and how that's so bad and that's so horrible. And they're basically equating riots and looting to the Black Lives Matter movement in some ways. And, and using it as a way to de delegitimize the entire movement, saying like, look, you know, they shouldn't be, these people are violent and we shouldn't be supporting their causes. Trevor Noah made a really interesting point on, on Instagram. And so he was addressing questions people have around why the rioting and the looting is happening. And the way he explained it was that there is essentially a social contract that we all have in society that generally prevents us from looting. People buy in and that's why we're all safe. That's why people generally follow the rules. However, when a certain group within society is being subjugated repeatedly, being attacked, being brutalized in the street by the very people who are supposed to protect them, there's going to be a breaking point at some point. And then the question becomes, if people feel like the contract has been broken, then what obligate, like essentially what is going to stop people from holding up their end of that contract? And so he walked a very, I, it was interesting here because he walked a very fine line and he wasn't necessarily condoning the looting. But at the same time, I think that the way he presented this argument was designed to show people 
who may not be living in cities, who may be in rural America, who may not see the Black struggle and help them understand the frustrations and the difficulties that people are going through. So we talked about what's going on right now, turning our focus internally for a second. These set, set of incidents, especially during quarantine, have given us a lot of time to think about what we can do individually and as, as a community as well. And one of those things involves some amount of introspection as to the racism and the colorism that exists within our own communities and even back home in our own countries. So what are you guys' thoughts on that? I think that it's really important for us to have these conversations at home. It's true that we may be sometimes met with resistance, especially when talking to parents, but these conversations still need to happen, even if minds don't change immediately. And I think what's also important to, to think about is the fact that we are now adults and we have a younger generation that looks up to us. I think it's really, really important that we set the tone and that we make sure that um, just racial injustices aren't something that we let slide because it is what it is and that's how it always has been. I actually would be really curious to get your take on how it is to be Black in the Muslim context like your interactions with other people in the community and, and all of that? Yeah. That's definitely an interesting question. And I'd say that uh, it's it's not a great situation. I think that there is so much room for improvement and it, uh, it honestly does suck to see a lot of people who you may pray alongside of, who you may work with, maybe friends with, um, just not understand basic things about what it means to be just. So that's definitely, there's there's a lot of pain and a lot of frustration associated with, with, uh, with being a Black Muslim, for sure. At the same time, I think that uh, it's something, what, what isn't great is for the Muslim community to stay silent and effectively think that it's the responsibility of Black Muslims to police everyone else and say, hey, you speak up. It shouldn't be that way. And I think all of us have a responsibility to uphold justice wherever we see something that isn't right. And that's that's where a lot of black a lot of black people, and I'm speaking for myself first, that's where a lot of frustration comes from. I don't feel like I should have to round everybody up and tell everybody everybody else to speak up. That just isn't that just doesn't sit well, sit, sit right with me. I think especially when you're like you know, unfortunately, like a lot of black Muslims don't come from the greatest socioeconomic background and they don't have a position of power that they can just be like, if I was like a black CEO, then I think I would have a lot more power in influencing people than if I was just, you know, working like a minimum wage job. Yeah. And so I think part of the divide also doesn't just come from race, which is definitely a big part of it, but also like class divide, right? Definitely. Before we jump into the class divide, I want to uh, spend some time diving a bit deeper into this issue of racism within our community with you guys. It yes. is, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely a, a subject that doesn't get the attention that it deserves. And I would love to like hear your thoughts on why. I think a lot of us come from cultures where we just uh, hide our dirty laundry. We just kind of throw things under the bed and we say, hey, we're not going to talk about it. And I think that this is just going to let issues fester. There's so many aspects and angles that we can talk about. We can talk about uh, marriage, uh, like intermarriage in the Muslim community. Um, we can talk about even just uh, like our friend groups, whether they're diverse or not. There's so many different angles to this. And I'd love to hear what you guys think and what your take is as Muslims who aren't Black. Uh, so 
for me, I've lived in Egypt and Libya, so I've seen the culture there and how it ports over to the culture here. Um, and in Libya, you guys may know that recently they they had an open slave trade market, um, as reported by CNN, and that is the result of pretty much decades. I would assume I've only been there; for, I was only there for five years, but I assume decades of racial injustice and it was very very southern like 1800s jim crow in nature like they the word for black people there was abed which comes from abd which means slave so they're they were nicknamed like some equivalent of the word slave right and that was just something that was accepted that was just something that was just like okay that's just what we call black people um and that was very easy or you mean historically? Say what? Yeah, now. Oh, Do you yeah, mean, even, like, now. even now? It's... Even now, they'll call them a bit. Oh, now like, it's worse. You go to the street. They, they recently had a slave trade market. Yeah, man. Uh, Hashim, I have yeah, some yeah. friends. They'll call them a bit. Like, just to jump in, I've had some friends who went to Egypt for schooling just to learn more about the deen. And so when they go to school, uh, they would go back to their parents and cry and complain and say, hey, kids at school called me a bit. Right? So it's a thing that... I yeah. love, bro. Yeah, and Egypt is, I, I don't know where in Egypt they went, um, like which city, but if I was in Cairo, which is like the most modern slash westernized area. And even that, um, that was like, I, I had one black person in my school. I went to a private school. There was one black dude. And if somebody got a lower grade than the black guy, they would be like, wow, I got a lower grade than the black dude. Like it was, it was so, um, intrinsic and it wasn't it wasn't as i i would say like if i had to compare racisms which not great but i wouldn't say it was as bad as libya but it was still pervasive enough that black people were not treated well at all and you can see that in their media like if you watch any movie like the black person is the butt of the joke as someone who got burnt or somebody who is who is dark as night or something like that like it's always some kind of joke you know what I mean? And that culture transports over um, to here, right? Where, and I feel like a lot of, especially Arab parents or like that that generation, and even depressingly enough, some of our generation tried to sweep it under the rug with the same two like Facebook quotes of, oh, the story of how Bilal was the first person to give the Aden um, at the Kaaba or the story of, how the last sermon by the prophet was spoke against anti-racism. So, so. Um, uh, yeah. And it feels to me like that's basically saying like, that's the Muslim equivalent of saying, I don't see color. You know what I mean? Or like um, all lives matter. I don't think it's as bad as all lives matter, but it's more like, I'm not, I, I, it's like, I don't recognize racism. You know what I mean? Or it's like, I'm not racist. Cause like Islam tells me not to be. So Muslims can't be racist. Right. And, um, but yeah, so like, it seemed like having those discussions, it's like one guy told me, he's like, everybody loves Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X until it's time for their daughter to get married. You know what I mean? Like, it's basically like, like it's depressing, but like, this is one of the few demographics or cultures where it's like, Oh, her parents let her marry a black dude. That's so progressive. And it's like, bro, white people figured this out 50 years ago. Or 30 years ago. Like, I'm not going to give them too much credit. They figured it out 30 years ago. But 
um, that's the idea is that it's, it's so pervasive and it's so dismissed. Um, I remember, and, and it's not at all tackle. And I'm like, I'm speaking as someone who was part of the MSA. So I definitely take responsibility for this, but um, it's, we don't like in the MSA, we don't have any fundraisers for Somalia. We don't have any fundraisers for Sudan. We don't have any, Oh, awareness for the struggles that are happening in Sudan. You know what I mean? And I'm speaking as a Palestinian. It's all about Palestine. It's all about Syria. It's all about Yemen. And yes, there are more of those people in the MSA, but aren't Muslims all supposed to be Muslims? Aren't we all supposed to be equivalent? Right? Um, and yeah, that's those actually a really good point. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah, those issues never get brought up. Like even the ones, like we don't even care about them or not, we don't care about them. We don't address them in a global sense. Um, and it's never brought up until somebody black at the MSA says like, hey man, nobody in the MSA is doing this. Like, why is nobody doing this? And then like, you know, a few people have their apologies. They say, oh, I'm sorry, we'll do better. And then a couple of weeks later, it's back to normal. You know what I mean? Um, I think that depending on what community you guys are operating in, uh, like if you're in an MSA or if you're in Mac or something like that, you should go like, this is the time to go out of your way to understand. Like this is the time to go out of your way to understand and address the black struggle, both with them, how they deal with Muslims and with the world at large. Yeah. So, and just to underscore what you said over there, which I think is really important. We each as Muslims, we have an obligation and responsibility to speak up and to actually pursue justice as opposed to just saying, Hey, I'm open to having my mind changed. I'll listen if someone approaches me. I think having that, that proactive approach is what's needed and what's missing very sorely from the Muslim community. Hashim, at one point you mentioned uh, class divide, and I don't think we got to that. I got to say that um, a lot of people view um, like the class divide and racial injustice as uh, two separate issues. And it's really not that. They're very, they're, they're definitely, they are two, both issues are important. At the same time, they're so intertwined that I feel like it's really hard to kind of like work on one without working on the other. That's my take on it. To be honest, and you talked about like some of our personal experiences, for example, I think the people that I hang out with most um, in the Bay Area, like if you think about like our circle of friends, they were very similar sort of socioeconomically in that we all have these tech jobs and we're all, we've all moved from, from Canada to the, to the U.S. And we kind of bond over this common background, the shared background that we have. And I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, you and I are friends is because we went to the same university and we ended up working in, in a similar industry. And I don't know that, you know, we would have had the opportunity to meet if you were in, even if you were in like chemical engineering or something and you ended up in Alberta or something like that. So I think that's one of those things that definitely really helps. And I, that's why, um, you know, when I think about ways that we can help bring about some of this unity is I think about helping people who are underprivileged, whether they're, whether they're black, whether they're brown, whether they're white, like helping people from these disadvantaged backgrounds pursue an education. And then those people will naturally make a lot of difference in breaking down some of these barriers. And of course, there's a lot of work to be done because just this alone is not going to do, it's not going to make a huge dent. It's, you're going to have to solve the problems that are, you know, like 
inherent to your society with with respect to how you view other groups even like arabs and non-arabs versus and, and like desis versus arabs and if you think about like <laughs> pretty much every town has like a desi mosque and has an arab mosque and then an african-american mosque right and and so it's really bad that we've just fragmented our ummah in these ways and it really makes us weak overall and we talk about like um how like we want to have we want to be act, we want to be activists we want to support our religion we want to support muslims and we always boast about how we have over a billion muslims in the world but if you think about like how disunited a lot of these factions are yeah. you really can't it, like besides that statistic there's no other meaning to that number yeah for sure yeah yeah on, honestly i think um like where we live in the silicon valley one of the richest parts of the us you know one of the most prosperous economies in the world you really get sheltered from a lot of this um like the reality of the situation like i was surprised i haven't verified the statistic but something like 40 percent of americans would not know what to do if they didn't have a paycheck for a month like without the stimulus bill for example they just they don't have any savings at all yeah I, and I, I, we're I, so I, sheltered I, from that i saw some Sorry. statistic i think it was like 500 if they got a surprise 500 500 expense they wouldn't know what to do right and so in the grander context of things especially given like what's going on in the u.s right now it has at least motivated me to look more deeply into like what these movements are who are the people behind them and like why they matter and like one of the reasons i felt more connected to it was because i read this post by sheikh yasser qadi who was talking about how um he was like oh i've been asked to give a speech about black lives matter and racial injustice and then he just kind of called his dad up right before the speech and he said like do you know like do you know anyone who was affected by this and then his dad started crying he was like what do you mean do i know someone i was directly affected by it i was one of those people who had to sit at the back of the bus who i was who, who wasn't allowed the privilege of you know sitting at the front and so he was saying how this is like this racial injustice is something that like that affects all of us and like all of these fights that um these african-american heroes had were not just for african-americans but for immigrants in general like to a very very high degree the you know brown-skinned people were being discriminated in the same way that obviously like there's not like the history of slavery there and, and all of those horrendous things but i don't know if i would be able to even have a job if i went to the united states if it weren't for martin luther king or if it weren't for malcolm x so that made me really connected with a lot of these people in a way that i hadn't really been connected before so that's one of the things i'm appreciative of appreciative of um through all of this you mentioned that a lot of people are sheltered and uh that's absolutely true i remember uh one incident where uh in university at waterloo i had somebody in my class who i knew to be genuine i didn't have i didn't i had no reason to suspect any type of uh, uh, like malicious or uh, harmful thinking from them. But they came up to me and they just straight up asked me, is police brutality a myth? Is this really real? Is it happening? Or is this just some misinformation online? And I was I was taken aback. I, I wasn't really sure how to respond because it never, at that point, it never occurred to me that somebody might think this is not real. That was the first time somebody had ever yeah. asked me that question. And, and this is not just like someone off the street. This is someone from your university who's well-educated. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's really surprising.
so one of the things that I think about when I'm asked to partake in activism is how do you find that balance of getting involved in activism versus working on yourself and working on ways that you can have a lot of impact on an individual level? That's a great question. I think upfront, what I will say is that it's important for us to um, fight, fight hard, but there's no need for us to get burned out because uh, as you kind of alluded to, it is a marathon. It's not, it's not going to be a sprint. So we should definitely take the time to take care of ourselves and those around us. I think if we want to optimize for activism and helping our communities, one thing that we can do is focus on our strengths. So we are, we are all going to have unique strengths. And if we focus on those strengths, we can continue to work on ourselves and help those around us and fight for justice at the same time. You may be an artist. I may be a programmer. Uh, like she may be a lawyer. We all have different ways to contribute. And I think that's definitely something that we should focus on. The other point that I would like to make is that we're fighting against and we're uh, trying to reform deeply entrenched social systems that very clearly don't work for Black Americans and Black people in many, many, many countries. And so that's going to take time. It's going to take time to make these changes. And so, as you said, it's in many cases, it will be incremental progress and we just have to keep pushing. Yeah, I've seen people kind of get lost in this to some extent where all they do is activism and they've kind of abandoned the, the part that, you know, of Islam where you're supposed to work on yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Where like people will just forget to pray, for example, just because they're like, Oh, I need to go to a protest. All of their time is just preoccupied with this movement and that movement. Yeah. That I think it's really important to not burn yourself out and, and pick like a few movements that are very uh, near and dear to your heart. I think it's important to find that balance of like, not neglecting the things that are very important spiritually for you as a Muslim to make sure that you can, like you said, this is a marathon. So the things that will strengthen you and that make sure that you're successful throughout the marathon. Absolutely. Yeah. The way I like to look at it is that we all have to have our boundaries and our things that are non-negotiable. So for example, you know, Salah praying five times a day, that's not, there's, there should be no question there, right? If there's a, if there's a protest and it's time for Asr, then pray Asr and then, you know, figure out what you want to do. You know what I mean? So I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah. All right, guys, Jazakallah for listening into another episode of Shake Shack. We've, we, we had the privilege of hosting our, our good friend, Osama. We thank you again for being on our podcast. And if you feel like you want to see an impact in your communities, two charities that I would highly recommend are the National Bailout Fund and the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. I know that this organization was super involved even when the Muslim ban happened. And so I just wanted to give those two organizations a shout out, inshallah. Inshallah, we'll see you guys uh, at the next one. Assalamu alaikum. All right. Same guys. Peace.